So it's Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as, Adam, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man? Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as, the, just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might re reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, let's bow in prayer. Our gracious Lord, we uh, want to thank you so much for your word, which uh, reveals to us your righteousness and your grace and the right response we ought to have uh, to what you've done for us. Uh, we pray for our children as they uh, also look at your word that uh, together that we would be growing as a church family in our knowledge and our love of Jesus and our obedience to him. And these things we pray in his name. Amen. Last year, Coles Supermarkets uh, commissioned some, shop, some research uh, into the issue of shoplifting. Uh, the results... Are quite staggering actually. They discovered that almost one in ten uh, shoppers of, of all ages, across all ages, have stolen from the Coles self-service checkouts, uh, some on a regular basis. Uh, it's, if, if you're in your 30s, it's worse for people in your age bracket. Uh, one in six of people in their 30s had deliberately stolen at a self-service checkout. They call it, they've got a name for it, they call it the, and I quote, swipe everything as carrots mentality. And I guess you know what that means. Uh, I, I, I'm actually not sure why people would admit to actually doing this, but uh, they did. They must have been given immunity from prosecution for the sake of uh, the research uh, that Coles was doing. 
And it's, it's also possible that people just don't kind of see it as being a big deal. Apparently, the, uh, because the self-service checkouts place a relational distance between the shopper and any kind of human being that's employed by the company, uh, that people got this mindset where they think it's just... There's nothing personal about it. Uh, it's just a big, greedy company, and so they're quite happy to uh, scan everything as carrots, as if that makes it right. One in ten, how about that? Next time you're at the uh, checkout, and the, there's a queue there, and there's nine other people plus you, just look out for the, for the one, the one in ten. Uh, Coles commissioned the research so as to help them with their bottom line. But I reckon the research is more important because of what it tells us about human nature, don't you? Uh, Coles understood that uh, introducing self-service checkouts would cut their staff costs. However, they had not understood their customers, had they? Who would have thought that 10% of Coles customers are actually thieves? Before self-serve, the idea of trying to steal through the checkout, well, my guess is that the vast majority would, wouldn't have crossed their minds to do it. But when there is an opportunity to do wrong, when there is an opportunity to do wrong and most probably get away with it, there's something within us, something within us all that kind of just rises to the surface, something which is which is latent in our hearts, so that uh, in the case of shoppers, ordinary people, regular Aussies, kind of people that we share the queue with, become thieves. Now, of course, this should not surprise us if our understanding of human nature is shaped by the Bible. For the claim of the Bible is that uh, at our call, at our core, humans are not basically good. That at our core, that all, pe all people, every one of us, has a fallen, a sinful nature. And that's vitally important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand because unless we do understand human nature that way, we, we simply will not understand the character of our world and the problems uh, that exist in our world. But nor will we understand the, the starkly contrasting character of our God. And that's what the second half of Romans chapter 5 helps us to understand. If you'd like to have that open in your Bibles and uh, also following the sermon outline. What you'll notice in uh, Romans 5 is that uh, Paul commences this section in verse 12 with the, these three words... The three words are, therefore, just as. Uh, do you see that? Now, before we dive more deeply into the passage, I think it's actually worth our while to spend just a couple of moments unpacking those three words. Therefore, just as. Um, first of all, the word therefore. It can actually be a very important word uh, because uh, what does the word therefore do? Well, it it connects uh, what Paul is about to say with what he has just said. And so it's an important connective word. 
And so if we back up to verse 11, which which we looked at last week, uh, what Paul has just said is that through Christ, that we have now received reconciliation. Now, that reminds us that, uh, that if we if we had a need to be reconciled, that prior to that point, that we were unreconciled, that we were out of relationship with God. But as we saw last week, that that has actually been fixed. That relationship has been restored, that we have now been reconciled. And there are implications uh, that flow from that. Which bring us to, brings us to the, uh, the next couple of words. Uh, he said, therefore, just as. Just as. These are kind of words which we use when we want to compare uh, and or contrast two things. So that the words just as might reasonably followed with something like so also. Um, for example... Pete's around the back in Sunday school, is he? Okay. All right, so I can use him as an example. Um, uh, Just as Peter plays chess indoors, so also Peter plays soccer outdoors. See, the just as, the so also. Both are similar, aren't they? They're both strategy games, but yet they are also very different. I mean, if Peter plays soccer in the lounge room, Joanne might have a problem with that. Apparently he does. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. But uh, (laughs) they're similar, but they're different. So uh, just as uh, is followed by so also. Now, the comparison that Paul wants to make here is obviously far more profound than that. But it's a comparison and a contrast between two men and the results of their individual actions. And so uh, he starts with the, uh, uh, the first man. The first man we read about in verses 12 through to 14, and that man is Adam. Let me just read to you uh, verse 12. It says, Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, and you're expecting that he might therefore say so also, but he doesn't. He doesn't say that till much later on in the passage. There's a few things he needs to explain about the just as, and he does so in verses 13 and 14. The sin of Adam is the just as in Paul's comparison. Now, why do you think that people die? There's all sorts of reasons why people die. Uh, old age, that's the way I'd like to die. Um, when you, you know, your body, uh, our bodies get old. And as our bodies get old, our various organs, they, they start to wear out. Our muscles stretch and soften and loosen and things just don't function the way that they used to function and eventually something fails, something critical fails and that's called death. (laughs) That results in death. 
Uh, or, of course, something else fatal happens to our body through accident or misadventure or uh, some ill purpose of another person. Uh, something happens to our body which is fatal before we reach old age. Now, so obviously this is true. This is be stupid to say that this wasn't true. But it was not always to be the case uh, for Adam. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, in verses 26 to 30... When God made man, and he made man male and female, it's a generic term, when God made man male and female, they were created with a purpose, and that purpose was to rule over God's creation. Adam was given sovereignty over the world. Sovereignty without an end point. The death had not, was not part of the narrative. And yet, as the sovereign over the world, he was to reign in a vice-regal capacity. You know what that means, don't you? He's, he's actually a, a representative uh, of uh, one who has supreme authority. Adam was to rule the world under the supreme authority of God. That is, he was to rule the world as God's representative, ruling the world the way that God would want the world to be ruled. Now, this helps us to understand the nature of sin. Because Adam's sin, um, sometimes it's portrayed as, you know, he ate an apple. And so there's something about <coughs> apples that's wrong. Uh, so often the, at the, the ap apple is said to be a metaphor for some specific sin, usually connected with sex. But Adam's sin was not merely that he ate some fruit. It was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat from that tree, said God, and you will surely die. What did Adam do? He ate it anyway, didn't he? Right? Uh, and the reason he ate it was because he actually didn't, didn't believe God. He didn't trust that God had his best interest in mind. He believed that he, uh, by eating, would actually gain wisdom so that he would be able to be the one who would decide what is right and wrong, that he would be the one who would decide how he would live his life, his way, rather than God's way. And that's what sin is. It's, it's not just an action, it's an attitude of rebellion, an attitude of defiance against God. So, in what sense did Adam die? Well, in your uh, passages, in your outlines there, I've just printed to you from uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, just to make it easier for you to find. Uh, let's have a read of that. It says in Genesis 3, 19, uh, there was uh, consequences for Adam's sin. Uh, one of the consequences was that uh, suddenly Adam and Eve didn't trust one another. They covered up their bodies. Uh, they hid from God because of their, their shame. Uh, then there were consequences for Eve. There were consequences for the serpent. Look at this consequence for Adam. And God says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That is... Adam's rule over creation 
would no longer be one of pleasure and joy and satisfaction and fulfilment. It would now be a, a rule of toil and hardship. That is, now it would be by the sweat of his brow that he would eat the food from the ground. It would be dust, it would be hard work from here on in. More than that, he would now experience death, physical death, in so much that his days would now be numbered. For dust you were, and to dust you will return. As we uh, read on a bit further in that particular passage, it's spelled out more clearly. The reason for that is that he was now living outside of relationship with God. He was banished from Eden. He was sent out of the garden. And the, the, uh, the entrance to the garden was then guarded with uh, cherubim, with a flashing sword, which would bar his return to the tree of life that he enjoyed previously. One man, one act of disobedience, which brought the entry of death into the world. Um, I saw a satirical thing on Facebook the other day. I think it was on the Babylon Bee, if anyone gets that on Facebook. It was a picture, a photograph of a, <coughs> of a couple, looked like they're in their late 20s or early 30s, and they were with their, their child, and the news flash said something like this, uh, uh, local Christian couple refused to believe in original sin until their toddler turned two. They talk about the terrible twos, don't they? Uh, do we have to teach children to be selfish? Not in my experience. Now, I think it's the opposite, isn't it? But we don't have to teach children. Some parents do teach their children to be selfish. They model it and... But we don't actually have to teach a child. That comes naturally. What do we have to teach a child? We have to teach a child to be not selfish, but to be unselfish, to be generous towards the other. That requires a lot of teaching, a lot of training, because you're actually going against the flow. You're correcting something which is inherent. You see, we've all inherited the nature which Adam has passed down to us. And this is why we, we rebel against God's authority to rule our lives. And in verse 12, it's why death didn't stop with Adam. The death was passed on, the death spread, the de death comes to all men because, as Paul says, because all men sinned. That's why people die. The wages of sin is death. Now, someone might protest to Paul and say, well, hang on a moment, Paul. Um, Adam, we can understand why he died, because Adam broke an actual command from God. Um, someone who's received the law of Moses and they break the law of Moses, we can understand why they die, because they've broken an actual command. But what about people who don't have a command from God? 
Uh, what about, for example, those people who lived between Adam but before the law of Moses? What about them? Uh, what, what's their status? Well, have a look at verse 13. Uh, Paul says, For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, as did Adam, the type of command that uh, Adam broke, uh, who was a pattern of the one to come. Now, Paul's point here is that uh, the reign of death over all people between Adam and Moses is actually the proof that sin is not a matter of breaking an actual command, that sin is actually a matter of the heart, uh, something which is now inherent in all of us. It's a bleak picture, isn't it? But notice this. Notice also that Paul describes Adam as being, and I quote, a pattern of the one to come. Now, who might that be? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, refers to Jesus as being the second Adam. In what sense is Jesus the second Adam? In what sense is Jesus in any way like Adam? Well, in verses 15 through to 17, Paul outlines the, the ways that how Jesus is not like Adam. It's good to clear that up, isn't it? The ways he's not like Adam. Have a look at what he says in verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespassed, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So, verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. Verse 16, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. This is where Jesus is not like uh, Adam. He's not like Adam. But what's the big difference? How about the grace of God? You see, it didn't take much to bring sin into the world. It wasn't a lot for Adam to to introduce the reign of death and forfeit man's reign over creation. That didn't take a lot and it's no great achievement either in terms of power or morality. But something, sometimes when something gets a foothold, um, like an infection, uh, once it gets a foothold and starts to grow and starts to spread, that's the easy bit. What's the hard bit? The hard bit is to reverse all of that, to bring that back to what it used to be and to what it should be. For another man to pay the price of sin for all of humanity, 
for another man to, to die our death for us so that we will live forever as Adam was intended, for another man to reconcile our relationship with God so that uh, in his kingdom that we will rule again as we were intended, well, that's a far greater effort. That requires a far greater man and that is far more profound in terms of its implications. Now, do you ever wish you could, set, you could press the reset button on your life? Do you ever wish you could just maybe just wind back to before a particular point and do things again and do it differently? Ever wish that? Yeah. You got a few regrets? Yeah. Well, Jesus has done that. And he's done so for the whole world. How would we describe that? How would we describe the extent of, of God's grace in Jesus? Amazing grace? Um, for Paul in verse 15, it's, uh, it's overflowing grace. It's grace which, which cannot be um, contained. It's grace that cannot be, be measured. It's, it's overflowing grace and it's grace for which we can only be thankful for. You see, Jesus is not like Adam. He's far greater than Adam. What he has achieved is far more difficult than what Adam achieved and far better for us. And yet, he is like Adam. Verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Um, how is Adam a pattern for Jesus? Well, one man... One action, many people. And that, friends, is where the similarities end. <laughs> the disobedience of Adam resulted in sin and condemnation for all men. Whereas the obedience of Jesus, through his life and death, brings life for all men who trust in him. Now, of course, none of this means much to a person if they don't consider themselves to be sinful in the first place. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? You know, the person says, well, you know, I do my best. I obey the Ten Commandments. I don't steal at the checkout, unless, of course, it's self-service. But they think that they're not sinful because they think that they don't disobey God's law. Why did God give the Old Testament law? Verse 20, have a look at it. The law was brought in so that the trespass might decrease. Is that what it says? The law was brought in so that people's sin would be constrained and would be, be contained and would be held and that they wouldn't sin so much. That's why... The, is that what it says? No. No. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. 
You see, we might expect that it was brought in so as to constrain sin. But Paul says the opposite here, that it's actually brought in so that the trespass, so that sin would actually increase. Why is that the case? And how is that so? Well, you know what it's like, don't you? Um, if you want to, if you, whatever reason you, you don't like someone and you want to somehow make that point or punish them in some way, you want to defy that person, how do you do it? Well, you go and find out what they do like, what they do want, and you do the opposite to make your point. Ever had that done to you? Ever done that yourself? I was, um, a year or so ago, I once placed a sign uh, on the seat of a chair um, here in the church and my sign said, do not sit on the chair. It was pretty clear, it was pretty bold. I come back a day or so later and someone had actually sat on the sign <laughs> on the seat of the chair. Now my guess is that the thought of sitting on the chair probably hadn't crossed their mind until they saw my sign. The new and somewhat bent shape of which was the evidence of their defiance. I, I did think it was funny, eventually. <clears throat> By the way, uh, Peter said I should have brought the, <clears throat> the actual sign along and we could see who fits the shape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't usually do confessions in this church, but if you want to have a chat with me over the morning tree, we be happy to be reconciled over this particular issue. <laughs> See, God's law, it, uh, uh, there's this, this is not the full purpose of God's law, but, and, and certainly there is an extent when we know what God wants, if we want to be obedient, we, it helps us, doesn't it? But God's law not only reveals areas of life where we're actually falling short of God's glory, it not only reveals those areas where we are sinning, but it also arouses, it stirs up that, that attitude that which, we, which is within, that attitude which we've inherited from, from Adam so that we actually, we do sin more because we want to defy God. And in so doing, the attitude of our heart is exposed. We see more clearly uh, not just the surface superficial morality of our lives, but we see the bleak state of our hearts, our utter helplessness before God our judge and therefore our need for a saviour. Paul says in uh, Galatians 3, I think it is, that the whole world is held prisoner to sin and the law was given to lead us to Christ. You see, in verse 21, without Christ, sin has got free reign in our world and in our lives. The result of which is death. Not just when our bodies cease to function, but that true death, that death of eternal separation from God in hell. But in Jesus... 
It's not sin and death which reigns, it's rather God's overflowing grace which reigns. That underserving sinners can now be righteous. That underserving sinners can now be said to be in a right relationship with God. And the result of which is not death, but his life. Not only life now, but that life which is eternal, that life which goes on into all eternity in a right relationship with God, our Creator. Now, it really is a return to Eden, isn't it? The flashing sword which barred re-entry into the garden has been withdrawn through the one act of that second Adam so that you and I can re-enter and we can grasp hold of and we can eat from the tree of life. Not the, tree of the, not the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of life. For as Paul concludes in verse 21, our eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our ruler. He is our master. He is our king. Jesus Christ is now our Lord. Now, I love the reasons that uh, people gave the researchers uh, for self-serving in more ways than one at the Coles checkouts. Uh, they must have been given immunity from prosecution. Um, but would you like to hear some of the reasons that people... You're going to hear them anyway. <clears throat> one man said this. These are all quotes. One man said this. I didn't plan to steal the bag of potatoes when I put them in my trolley. But when I got to the self-serve checkout, I just had this sudden urge not to scan them. How about that, eh? Another shopper reasoned, quote, if they can't, if they, <laughs> let me start again, if they couldn't afford to have people stealing at the self-serve checkouts, they wouldn't have them, would they? <laughs> Here's my favourite quote. I would not steal more than my moral compass could handle. <laughs> so I try to keep it at one third. <laughs> End of quote. You and I, we face temptations every day, don't, do we not? Temptations which uh, can stir up that, that sin which is within our hearts. Temptations in our relationships. Temptations in business. Hey, it's tax time at the moment, friends. Uh, temptations in all of our interactions with, uh, with people. But because of God's grace, God's overflowing grace... In Jesus, we can say no, can't we? We can say, no, I, I, Jesus Christ is now my Lord. I live for him. We can say no to sin and ungodliness. We can say yes to the Lordship of Christ, that which was always intended for us, that which we will enjoy now and forevermore because of his overflowing grace on the cross. Jesus 
is the second Adam who has reversed the effects of what the first Adam has done. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your overwhelming grace. Uh, We confess that we are sinful human beings. And Lord, that um, that it is is within us to uh, rebel against you when we have opportunity. But Father, we are overwhelmed by your great love and compassion for us that sent your son to the cross. So we pray now that we would have transformed lives, that in grasping hold of that life which is eternal, that we would grasp hold of Jesus as our Lord, as our King. Father, we look forward to that day when in your kingdom that we will reign as we were intended always to do so, in perfect union and fellowship with yourself because of the overwhelming grace you've shown to us in Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>